Welcome to episode 12 of the Countryline Songwriters series, where you'll hear from some of the most successful artists and songwriters working in Nashville today. Country music is all about storytelling, and this is where you'll discover the stories from the people themselves of how they managed to find their way into such a competitive industry and rise to the top, what motivates and inspires them, and what they've learned along the way. Born on September 1st, 1985 in Jackson, Mississippi, music became Charlie Horsham's main interest at a young age. He started on the banjo and was good enough by the age of 10 to play on stage at the Ryman Auditorium with bluegrass great Jimmy Martin. After winning a junior national banjo championship at the age of 12, he then played on stage at the world-famous Grand Ole Opry. He consequently learned to play fiddle, mandolin and guitar, and while living and working as a musician in Nashville was always his goal, he opted to attend the prestigious Berklee School of Music in Boston following his graduation from high school. Eventually, Horsham did relocate to Nashville, where he worked on his songwriting and did session work. He also joined the critically lauded and respected Nashville band King Billy, remaining with the group for nearly three years before deciding to go solo. Signing with Warner Brother Records, he began recording a debut album. A single from the project, Could It Be, which Horsham co-wrote, was released in early 2013 and reached number 28 on Billboard's country charts. Horsham switched direction for his 2017 sophomore set, Beginning of Things, emphasizing his sense of humor, storytelling, and penchant for soul. In 2019, Horsham released a witty single, I Hope I Get Stoned When Jesus Takes Me Home. This found him backed by the Old Crow Medicine Show. Horsham has also sat in on sessions for the likes of Vince Gill, Eric Church, Dirk Bentley, and Carrie Underwood. Now, as he releases a new project, he chats with myself, Stuart Bamford. The Countryline Songwriters Series with Charlie Warsham. You're releasing this five-track EP this coming Friday. It's called Compadres. It sees you collaborating with some of the biggest and the best in country music. It's also being produced by Jaron Johnston of the Cadillac 3. Two of the songs were available to stream and download before its release. I want to ask you firstly about how I learned to pray. So this new version features Luke Combs, but obviously I'm familiar with the fact that you wrote this with Jeremy Spillman and Ryan Tindall and originally recorded it for your rubber band album back in 2013. So what made you want to revisit the song and how did Luke get involved? It wasn't in a church with a chapter and a verse Some preacher made sure everybody heard Or just some words somebody told me to say I was living like I was alone for the world Mama always said it'd take a special girl to get a hold of me But I never let one get close to me you know, one of the lessons I keep learning the longer I'm in Nashville, and just last week I was with my publisher listening to songs and getting a, a list together for my next record proper or whatever, you know, and one of the songs that he played it and I started crying over was 15 years old. The house that built me, Miranda Lambert, was seven years old before it ever reached her ears. And uh, I've learned never to count a song out. I was so proud of how I learned to pray back in the rubber band days and if nothing else had ever happened i still would be proud of that song but i didn't see a lazarus moment coming what led to it being a song that i sing with luke is there are records that move people to town and for me that record 
is Eric Church's Sinners Like Me. It came out right about the time I moved to Nashville. I wore that thing out. It inspired me because it had songs about taking pregnancy tests and a, a song he wrote by himself about a guy on death row. You know, just things you just didn't expect were even possible that inspire you to reach higher and, and go bigger with your mm. ideas. And uh, what I didn't know when Rubber Band came out was that, you know, this girl named Lainey, was moving to town around that time. Right. This guy named Luke was moving to town around that time. And records like Rubber Band had an impact on people like them at that time. And as we speak, you know, whether it's Compadres or it's somebody else's record that's coming out right now, there are people moving to town and those records are moving them, them to town. And so for me, the really important thing was to get to tell that story and singing How I Learned to Pray with Luke, you know, yeah. uh, not just to say with Compadres, hey, this is who I am and where I am and what I do and where I'm headed. But this is where I've been, and I'm a part of this ongoing story that is country music. Let me ask you about your collaboration with a guy who's become just like Luke. I mean, massive over here, particularly in Northern Ireland, Kip Murr. So there's a collaboration called Kiss Like You Dance. And the music video, it looks like so much fun. It's essentially just you two on a night out in Nashville. And it shows us actually a different side of Kip because normally, you know, he's quite moody and mysterious in videos and on stage. But this is him just relaxing and having a laugh, right? Yeah. And you know, what's great is that's the Kip I got, you know, became buddies with back in 2014 when we first toured together. I remember on that tour, we had two nights in a row in Chicago and I don't know how, but my bus became the the hub of the party that first night. And, you know, buses are designed for maybe 12 people. And I think we had over 30 people. When we got back to Nashville, we had to pay the cleaning fee. I'll just, I'll say that, you know, <laughs> now Kip and I don't like throw down as often anymore. You know, we're a little older and wiser now. Uh, and we were drinking sweet tea in the video, not real whiskey. But Kip's just one of my best buds. And uh, the way that came to be, I play a gig whenever I can at my favorite little room here in Nashville and really in the whole world for music, which is a place called the Station Inn. And uh, I go with a whole armload of new songs that I've never played before. We don't rehearse. I just hand charts out to the band and we just go. And uh, Kip and I just we're writing buddies, you know, and recording buddies and everything. And so... It's not uncommon for him to come to one of those gigs. And I happened to be trying out that song, Kiss Like You Dance, one of those nights. Kip was there. And the ultimate sign, you know, you got a hit on your hands or a potential hit on your hands is when another artist starts asking the question, you know, hey, man, what are you going to do with that? And sure enough, that night after the gig, he texts me, man, are, hey, are you going to cut that Kiss Like You Dance song? And so I took that as like, I better I better hold on to it, you know. But the ultimate win would be a way for us to sing it together. And so out of that, as Compadres started to form as an idea in my mind, it was natural. It's like the song chose us. I was like, well, I got to put Kiss Like You Dance on here, and I got to call Kip to sing on it with me. You mentioned her earlier there, Lainey Wilson. The collaboration you have on there with her, there's so much buzz around this. 
And mm. I know, obviously, you played on her massive bell-bottom country album, but this is a duet of a song written by the great Tony Arada, Handful yeah. of Dust, yeah? And yeah. I know you're a big fan of the uh, Patty Loveless version. I'll tell you the story. Years ago, I was at the Bluebird, and I was chatting to this this guy, and he was just some random guys next to me. And then next thing, the show starts. He reaches down, lifts out his acoustic guitar, and it's Tony Arada. Yeah. Well, a lot of things about that song I love. I mean, I love that he wrote it by himself. Those are mm-hmm. a lot of times my favorite songs. And Tony was sweet to call me uh, last week and we had never spoken before and he had gotten wind of our version. I got to share it with him and everything. And and he's a dad and I'm a, I'm a new dad, you know, newish dad. And uh, he was telling me the story of how that song got written, which he wrote by himself, you know, and uh, he and his wife were expecting their first child, their oldest daughter now. And they were, you know, towards the end of a pregnancy, you start going into the doctor a lot more often, just checking on things. And so it was one of their last visits before their daughter uh, arrived in the world and everything. And uh, he was reading in the waiting room a magazine and it was breaking down the human body. It's one of these things people, you know, write in magazines. You know, this is what it would be in terms of copper and penny, how many pennies a human body is in terms of copper, whatever. And that's, you know, we're not copper for one penny or even iron for one nail. And then also at the same time, uh, that song being about a handful of dust. Well, I believe in the power of dirt. And Lainey has always felt like a sister to me in country music, the way she talks, the way she sings, the way she writes. And it makes sense because she grew up just south of me in Louisiana, where I grew up in Mississippi. And we grew up making road trips with our families to Nashville. And on those road trips, Patty Loveless was a big part of the soundtrack. And I'm always looking for the inner, the Patty Loveless to my inner Vince Gill. And I feel like I found it in Laney. And I feel like that really tells both our stories uh, in singing this song about dirt and love and sense of place. And uh, so I'm really proud of that one. And it's probably my favorite guitar solo I've ever played. I cannot wait for the world to hear it in a few more days. And tell me about the the song with uh, Dirks, Things I Can't Control. Well, tell me about yeah. the song, but also tell me about the experience of now being part of his touring band. I get there when I get there. Hope we all get there. Yeah. Well, all of this project came to be because I was playing more and more on sessions. A lot of those Jaron was producing. Right. And uh, it was actually a joke that Dirk's cracked in the sessions late 2021 for his album Gravel and Gold. It came out earlier this year. He was laughing, saying, man, we got so many guitars on this new record. I'm going to have to hire another guitar player. And I joked back, dude, you know, this was like we were still coming out of COVID. So I was like, man, my next summer's pretty open, man. I'll come sing with you and, and pick. And any other person I probably would not have offered or considered uh, because it would have felt like cheating on my solo career a little bit. And 
And yet Dirks is just such a generous guy and uh, makes a point to highlight me every night in the show, sends me out early in the VIP acoustic set to play one of my own songs and uh, just makes me feel at home out there as much as an artist uh, out with him as, as I do as a, a player. Uh, and, you know, the thing about that song and things I can't control is as much as I've learned from Dirks, I've probably learned more from him as a dad, mm. you know, because it's it's not particularly conducive to being a, a present parent, uh, this whole touring lifestyle. But he's really worked hard over the years to somehow be in two places at once whenever he can. He can be on stage for his fans and his band and giving it his all, but also get home as quickly as he can. And it's because of him and dude air, we call it, uh, that I've spent a lot more afternoons hanging with my son before a show and a lot more mornings waking him up. Uh, and that's no small gift. Uh, and uh, certainly nothing teaches you that things are out of your control, like like being a dad. Uh, so it's the perfect song for us to sing together. I mean, I saw him years ago. He kicked off, I think it was the Black World Tour at a tiny theater in Dublin called the Olympia. And I can only imagine what you now as part of the band brings to the live show, you know? Yes. And, you know, it's a secret obsession of mine. I'm trying to manifest a few things out there because I want to spend one more year with Dirks as I start doing more of my own stuff again. I want to both play in his band and open the shows nice. next summer. But I also want to bring that tour across the pond nice. because, I mean, it'd just be so much fun. Let's just be honest. It'd be so much fun. And I'm always looking for an excuse to play more music and an excuse to get back over there. So, Well, you know we love the fiddle and the banjo, but, um, you know, you're nominated for a Musician of the Year at the upcoming CMAs. And I loved last year, you were on stage at the Opry and Dirks pops up on screen to congratulate you on winning the ACM Acoustic Guitar Player of the Year. I loved your acceptance speech because it was so humble and um, you were so emotional. You know, you, you thanked your mother for way back in the day as a child. She was driving you an hour there and an hour back to banjo lessons. And your dad, he must have saw something in you because he made that effort of like exposing you to so much live music. You know, my dad made his living as a banker. And um, but I always knew him as a drummer. You know, we had a drum set set up at the house. And it's the reason we have cracks in the walls in the house. <laughs> I grew up from all the jam sessions up there. But one of my earliest memories of music was tagging along to one of his gigs and the guitar player, who I ended up a few years later being in a bluegrass band called the Wabash Cannibals with. He was rocking and rolling with my dad playing electric guitar, and he sang Werewolves of London. Okay. He lifted the guitar and played the solo with his teeth, and there I am, a kid, very impressionable. And I'm seeing, for the first time, growing up, act like kids. And I point to him, and in my mind, I say to myself, I don't know what that is. But that's what I want to be when I grow up. And it really is the moment I knew this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And what a gift, you know, and he gave me that, my dad, you know, being there and being a part of that experience. And uh, and then, you know, nowadays, you know, when I'm gone, it isn't like my bachelor days. You know, I'm not just like locking the door and driving over to bus call. You know, I got a, a whole house that's got to be run and a kid that's got to be fed and bathed and put down. And my sweet bride, Kristen, you know, she's really shouldering most of that load so just the support and the love from her means the world and and i feel like they should give out those awards to uh musicians partners you know for the hours they have to uh keep alongside us you know the crazy hours you know but the other side of that coin is the gift of this wild and crazy life that you know they they get to come tag along on really fun gigs here and there and you know gabe is really well traveled for a kid under three 
And so, you know, it's it's funny. I got to play Pilgrimage Music Fest down in Franklin here, just just south of Nashville a few weeks ago. And it was yeah. it wasn't the first gig that Gabe had really been to. I mean, he was an infant. We brought him with us backstage at the Opry and stuff. But uh, in a lot of ways, it was the first gig that he'll possibly remember. And so on the drive down, I shed a couple of tears realizing that the torch is being passed. You know, I'm now giving my son those same memories my dad gave me. And wow. man, what a thing. What I've always loved about you is the fact and what very much comes across is you play music for nothing but the love of it. You know, the business side of things has never taken over. And an example, I mean, I know your very first trip over to Northern Ireland, you were about 10 years old. You played banjo in a bluegrass band at a music festival in Dundalk. Do you have any uh, any lasting memories from that? Like the lock-ins and just the you know oh, the, the yeah. love for music here? Well, the lock-ins for sure, but... um. The thing that sticks with me, and it still comes up on my uh, camera roll here because I've got it saved in my camera roll and my favorites. That year, the championship Irish dancing, the young girls dancing team uh, went to school. One of their daughters was a member of the team. We were staying at Glengat House there okay. in Dundalk. And uh, so they invited me and that same guy. Uh, that played Werewolves of London with his teeth. He was <laughs> in the Wabash Cannibals with me. Uh, we got to go over one of the last mornings we were there and go to their school and play some fiddle tunes. And they danced for us. It was like being on the mountaintop. You know, I mean, that's really what music is all about is sharing community and joy with one another. And uh, we were just blown away by these young girls dancing. And I think they were kind of blown away by our crazy version of you know what kind of sort of sounded like the music they were used to because it is the great 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 grandchild of irish music you know all these fiddle tunes that got, you know all these great irish musicians got stuck in the appalachian mountains and kind of made it their own and that led to me falling in love with bluegrass and being here talking to you today and mm -hmm. uh so i always cherished that morning and being in that school and it was also just like the sunlight was hitting just right through the windows and um i'll never forget it I love how you remember that so vividly. Um, over the years, I mean, you've toured with the biggest and the best. You can go from Taylor Swift to Tim and Faith. I mean, the list goes on and on. I remember seeing you open in 2016 for Kenny Rogers here in Belfast. And, yes. uh, you know, that must have been a real education to watch that legend night after night and his band, right? Yeah, it really was. He... uh you know, to this day, when I talk to fans in the UK or, or I try to explain to somebody what it's like going over there, part of telling that story is explaining the gap between, OK, it's Johnny Cash, Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers. And then it's not really anybody for a long time. And then it's Garth. And then it's everybody that started coming over with C to C. And the reason is Kenny was one of the only people who never stopped coming. And fans remember that and they care about that. And I got to be, wow, you know, just to be a part of that swan song for him. I also learned so much about being an entertainer in the original sense, like the true sense. I'm not talking you got fireworks coming, you know, fire and lights and lasers and stuff on show. I'm talking about all you have is a microphone and your songs and your voice. And Kenny was the best at that. And, you know, with him gone now, I feel like I'll I'll share this story but we played two shows in London and the last show we played over there was the second show in London. Uh, and I forget it was Hammersmith Apollo where they filmed some of the opening scenes of uh hard day's night, which was mm -hmm. for me, you know, I'm always going to try to find my Beatles fandom stuff. Uh, but that night he went to sit on a stool for one of his songs 
and he missed the stool and he fell on his back. And I mean, he was elder, elderly at the time. And I was standing side stage thinking, oh my gosh, you know, this is horrible. And what a disaster. And we're all holding our breath and the band, because the ultimate rule when you're in the band is just keep playing. You know, it doesn't matter what happens, you just keep playing. Um, And he didn't move for a second. And then the moment came for him to sing the next line and he's on his back on stage and you just see his <laughs> arm go up and he doesn't miss a beat. Wow. He did not miss a beat. And to me, it was like, that's the ultimate lesson. You know, anyone could have that moment. You know, you don't have to be elderly or whatever for that moment to happen. What's a true testament is, you know, are you going to let it embarrass you and run off stage or get shaky and and, and affect your performance? Are you just going to be a total pro and kick it, you know, kick the door in? And he he did the latter. And that will always stick with me. And I mean, I already respected him immensely. But after that, I thought, may I hopefully be so lucky as to be half the entertainer as that man someday, you know. Charlie, I have so many more questions I could ask you, but we've run out of time. Let me just squeeze in okay. one more. You played Come on Eric Church's Heart and Soul Project. This was an album famously recorded, written and recorded over the course of 28 days up in the mountains yeah. of North Carolina. I love this project. I'm fascinated by it. Tell me about the reality of being involved in it. Was he like a crazy man? Was he burnt out? What was it like? Uh, he was... And only a parent could really understand this feeling, I guess, but uh, simultaneously running on adrenaline and excitement and fumes, you know, because there wasn't sleep happening. But it was not that he couldn't sleep. He had the opportunity to. He was just so inspired that he was choosing to keep writing and he had songs literally waking him up. The two moments I, I best remember were the first thing I played on and the last thing I played on. The first thing was Heart and Soul or excuse me, Heart on Fire. And uh, it was late. You know, most of these sessions didn't get going until 10, 10 p.m. Uh, and I, Jay said, Charlie, you take solo on this. And so I played that first solo and the song was over. And, and I hear Eric go, Charlie. <laughs> and I just thought, all right, he digs it. That's great. You know, and it just got me so fired up and I'll never forget that. But then the last song we played on was Stick That In Your Country Song. And I'm playing the acoustic guitar on that. And it was like. Wow. The mountain knew we were doing this song because we played what you hear on the record is take one. Wow. And the minute we kicked into that song, a thunderstorm came up out of nowhere. And behind where we were recording was this river that had been real peaceful the whole time. All of a sudden, it looks like it's about to flood. The lights are flickering. We don't even know if we're going to have power long enough to get the song recorded. But we did. And we tried to cut it one more time because you always try to get like a backup, but it wasn't as good. And wow. so we threw our hands up and said, we're done. We ain't going to beat that. And we didn't. I honestly think it might be his vocal from that first take, too. It was just such a powerful song and such a powerful moment. And, you know, one of my favorite moments in any record I've ever been a part of. The Countryline Songwriters Series with Charlie Warsham. More episodes from this series are available on the Countryline app and website, or just search for the Countryline Songwriters Series wherever you normally get your podcasts.